Welcome to another episode of THN on the O. As always, I'm your host, Tony Ferrari, joined by my beautiful, bald co-host, Brock Otten. How are you doing this week, Brock? Good, Tony. How are you doing, man? Not too bad. It's OHL finals week and lots going on, but let's start with the OHL news of the week. And uh, that goes to start with the Red Tilson winner, Matt Maggio from the Windsor Spitfires. First off, did Matt get your vote? He did. Uh, it was something that I did think about, honestly. I don't think it was like a slam dunk. It wasn't like... Other years when I voted where it took me 10 seconds to ponder about who I was going to vote for. This year I, I did. I thought about Brant Clark and I thought about Matthew Maggio. And I ended up going with Maggio. And I imagine that you and I will, will discuss after you tell us who you voted for. Yeah, I also went with Maggio as well. Brant Clark did finish second in voting. And he was the other guy I was considering as well. So what ultimately decided it for you? I just looked at kind of how he was able to take control of a Windsor team that I don't know if anybody expected them to be quite as good as they were this year, right? Like after that strong run in the OHL last year, right? It's cyclical. And there was maybe some thought that Windsor would kind of take a bit of a step back this year and he had other plans. And I would say that from start to finish, excluding the playoffs, obviously, but start to finish regular season, he was the best player. And I, I think that that's what this award is for. Yeah, I agree with you. It's for me, it really results. It just came down to the fact that Matt Maggio was in the OHL all season. He was absolutely outstanding, led the league in scoring. There was so much that went into his season. And, and, and I don't know if I should have taken this into consideration as well, but seeing the development of his game from the, from last year to the start of this year, to the end of the year, there was so much that he improved. There's so much that he grew this season, it, it just felt like right to, to kind of give him the award. Brent Clark was the was would, would have been my second choice, and he did finish second in the voting. Uh, anyone other than Brent Clark and, and Matt Maggio stick out to you that maybe didn't get the love that they should have because of their seasons? I think it was a two-horse race, honestly. Um, I know Ty Voigt did get some votes, and, and he had a really good year. Um, Sarni obviously had a phenomenal second half. And he was right up near the top of the scoring race for the large portion of the year. But for me, it was definitely a two-horse race. Yeah, I'm with you there. So let's move on to a couple signings in the OHL. Uh, Riley Piercy signed a, a deal with the Bridgeport Islanders of the AHL, the New York Islanders affiliate. So he could get some time with Matt Maggio maybe next season. What would you think about his signing? And do you think he kind of earned that contract this year? Yeah, absolutely. I, I know you and I had sort of discussed him, at, at, I think, at least at one point, um, during this podcast run. And we had both mentioned that he was a likely candidate to be an AHL signing and, and not necessarily an NHL one. And we've talked about other guys who are probably going to follow suit. And I think that this is a, a good depth signing for the Islanders organization, right? Uh, it's obviously not the Islanders, but you would think that New York has some sort of interest in him if they're getting Bridgeport to look at him for an extended look or uh, I don't know that's that's terrible grammar but um obviously there's interest there in, in what Pierce can can bring to the table and he's a big kid who, who has some athletic tools and I think he really progressed over the course of his OHL career and I'm kind of excited to see the the progression at the AHL level I think that he has a chance to be a guy that earns an ELC after one year uh, in the AHL yeah I remember in his draft year when he got traded from Barry to Flint I really liked his game when he got to Flint. He was a little bit more free and open offensively, and he still brought that size and physicality that he always had. 
it's good to see him get get rewarded with the contract in the pro ranks. But there was another guy that signed in, out of the OHL this week, and that was Ty Nelson, signed his entry-level deal with the Seattle Kraken. He's skating right now with the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Hasn't gotten any games yet, but where do you see his game going in the next couple of years? He had a great year, honestly. It, it was a really good year for, for Ty Nelson. He had a really good playoffs, I thought. I thought that he was probably North Bay's best player. And I think that bodes well for, for his future. I think that a lot of the concerns that we had about his game as a draft eligible player a year ago, um, you know, some of the defensive decision making, the wavering sort of intensity level, the decision making with the puck from an offensive perspective, you know, some of those low percentage plays that kind of crept in his game, especially in the second half of, of his draft eligible year. I thought he was just a lot more aggressive, a lot more assertive, a lot more confident this year. And I think that he's probably the runaway favorite for the Max Kaminsky next year. I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It was nice to see him kind of come in and be the defenseman we all thought he could be when he was drafted into the OHL. I think you saw the assertiveness, like you said, you it just looked like he was more sure of himself. He wasn't shying away from plays. He was get jumping into rushes more consistently and activating at the right times. It wasn't like he was doing all these things that young defensemen sometimes do where they jump into plays and hope that their goalie bails them out. He was making smart decisions with and without the puck, and I really like that for him. Let's move on to the OHL final, though. The Peterborough Peets are up 2-1. You chose the Peterborough Peets to win this this series. What are your initial thoughts on the series with London winning the first game, Peterborough taking the next two? Yeah, when London shut them out in the first game, I'm thinking, okay, I don't know. I don't know how, <laughs> how I'm feeling about this prediction at this point. Uh, my predictions in the outside of the first round, anyway, have not been great. And it made me a little nervous because I, it was a fairly dominant performance for, for London. It really was. Now, the script definitely flipped in games two and three. And I think that some of the things that we had talked about, like, for example, Peterborough's PK versus London's power play, that's been a big storyline so far. Um, I think London is two for 10 right now. And yeah, okay, that's not bad. It's, it's operating at 20%. It's it's sort of standard. But in the grand scheme of things, if you can hold the London power play to that, two for 10, you're giving yourself a chance to win. And I look back to their big kill in that Owen Beck five-minute major in game two, right? Yes, London did score one goal on that five-minute advantage, but the fact that they were able to keep it to one and allow Peterborough to, to really make that surge late in that game to take the lead and, and finish London off, I think that was a big turning point. And we're going to talk about two guys who are the anchor of that Peterborough penalty kill on the second, but I think that the game script of two and three is sort of how – I expected the series to go more so than game one. I thought that we would see some high-scoring games. I didn't have a lot of confidence in the goaltending on either side. I know Simpson's had a pretty good year, but it's a lot to ask Zach Bowen, and, and he hasn't been great in games two and three outside of his shutout in game one. So um, it's kind of going how I expected it to go. What about you? What do you think, Tony? Yeah, after that first game, I went, finally, we have a series going my way because my picks have been – mediocre at best throughout the playoffs this year and uh then it turned as every series that i predicted has so far this year which has been fun to watch but it, it really was that peterborough dictating play that i thought was the big thing we're going to talk about 
London's defense being overwhelmed a little bit in a, in a minute. And the, like you mentioned, the PK was huge for Peterborough. I do want to ask you, though, that Owen Beck hit. He didn't receive any supplemental discipline. Do you think there should have been any, or is that just kind of a, a play gone bad? I can see both sides uh, of the story here. I think that that's a type of hit that does often get suspended in the regular season. That's the type of one that we're seeing in the OHL the last couple of years get one or two games. Because it's the playoffs – does that change it? Should we change it for the playoffs? Is a bad hit a bad hit? I mean, there's lots of sort of philosophical questions here, right? And I mean, I'm okay with the fact that he didn't get suspended. Obviously, him missing that game what was a big turning point. Um, Peterborough was able to kill off that most of that uh, penalty, obviously. But losing him could have hurt them. It didn't. Do I think he could have been suspended? Yes. Do I think he should have been? I'm on the fence on it. Yeah, I'm with you. It's one of those hits that you look at and you go, I don't know. And, and, and for me, it, it's always hard to go, you have to suspend a guy when you just really don't know. If it's on the border like that, maybe the five-minute major was enough. London got the chance to kind of make an impact there, and they, they weren't able to do enough. But, man, it, it really was kind of one of those – on the fence hits, like you said, it's borderline. But let's get on to some of the players in the series, and, and let's go with most impressed and least impressed. Uh, we'll start with you. Who's the player that most impressed you so far in the OHL final? Well, I might have gone with the guy that you're going to choose, uh, but I felt like his running mate in Avery Hayes is somebody who's really impressed me in this series. I think he's had a really good playoffs overall. We would have expected that after his run with Hamilton last year. The playoffs are, are made for for players like Avery Hayes with his tenacity and his sort of motor that never quits. And he's been great on the PK for Peterborough. And I think that he's been a really good play driver for Peterborough through these first three, game, uh, three games. I think that he's somebody who's really attacking and pushing pace and, and putting the London defense on their heels and, and winning those you know, puck pursuit battles and he's getting to the puck on the forecheck and he's applying pressure and he's doing all the things that Avery Hayes does really well. And I think that the experience of this Peterborough forward unit is giving London's defense, which we talked about being a little bit inexperienced. I think, I think they're giving them fits right now. And I think the adjustment that Dale Hunter makes is going to be an interesting one. Yeah. And the guy I go with, I'm going with is Tucker Robertson. Absolute beast so far in the playoffs. He's been a catalyst offensively in both the two wins for the Peterborough Peets. He's been a guy that uses some of his physicality. He gets into the dirty areas. He's scoring goals. He's he's making plays. There's a lot to like about his game. He's doing it in all aspects. He's doing it in every, every situation. I, I think when you're playing as well as he is, he looks like a guy that knows, I'm not going to be in the OHL much longer. Let's get myself a title. Let's get this team a title. And, and guys like Avery Hayes, him, Brennan Othman, they're having a really good OHL final. So it, it's fun to watch this Peterborough Peets team play like this. Yeah, and I think that this is a team that can really match the energy and physicality of London, right? Yeah. This Peterborough team plays a similar kind of style. And the first three games of the series have been really great to watch from a, a fan perspective, right? And it's great now for TSN to be carrying the rest of the way uh, so that the rest of the sort of general public can hopefully tune in and watch these games because they should be because it's, it's great hockey. Yeah. It's been an absolutely fantastic series so far for the Peterborough Peets. 
Uh, really fun games to watch on TV. Some people that haven't been having fun is that London Defence Corps. So who's least impressed you? And I, I think you went with a whole group here. <laughs> yeah, I did. I went with a whole group because I think some of these guys have had good moments. I think Mayu's had some really good moments, especially offensively. I think Oliver Bonk has had some moments. I think that Isaiah George has had some moments. I think that their Sam Dickinson has had some some great plays. I think that overall, just there's been too many miscues. I think that communication hasn't been as good as it has been in, in previous rounds. I think that the decision-making with the puck has not been nearly as clean or as good. I think that they're kind of chasing the play uh, a little bit more than London's D typically does. There seems to be a bit of uh, a lack of structure compared to what we're used to from a Dale Hunter team. And, you know, maybe that is that lack of experience, right? We forget that this is a, a younger defensive group and this is a very experienced and deep Peterborough offense, right? This is a very deep forward group that has a ton of experience and that's tough for, for London's defense. And thus far, you know, maybe they're trying to overcompensate for the fact that they lost Brett Brochu and they're trying to do their best to maybe do too much to limit chances on Zach Bowen. And instead it's now taking them out of position and they're forcing things. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if it, it's going to turn around or not, or whether it can turn around. I think we we've seen in previous rounds that it can for London. And I think that they're a better defensive group than they've shown thus far in the series. But uh, yeah, I, I think overall, rather than one player, it's been the collective London defense, which I think has struggled and, and been, in my opinion, the least effective. Yeah. When I, when I came onto the, our show notes page, uh, a little behind the scenes for people, I came onto the page and I looked at who you put down after I struggled to figure out which London defenseman I wanted to put down. You put the whole group. I was like, oh boy, that uh, kind of solves my problem because I put down Oliver Bonk and it's because there's been a few times where he's gone glassing out or he's just made a play to the neutral zone and it's gone right onto a Peterborough player's stick and, and they stick out in my mind. But Logan Mayu's had moments like that. I think uh, Isaiah George has been, in my opinion, the, better, the best of the defenders in their own zone. And Sam Dickinson's kind of been really good offensively, but he's had moments in his own zone where he struggled. And I think, like you said, this London defense core is inexperienced. They're on the younger side, especially with relying on guys like Bonk and, and Dickinson as much as they do. And it, it just results in the Peterborough offensive unit being able to forecheck hard, being able to be physical and bring that game that I don't know if London's really faced on a consistent basis throughout this playoff series, this playoff run for them. The way Peterborough forechecks, the way they get in on you, they use their speed, they use their physicality. And, and like you said, they have a lot of mature players on that, that Peterborough unit. A lot of guys up front that are able to kind of get in, in your face. And it's not that they're blowing you up on a consistent basis. They're just, using their strength in, in, in kind of pushing you off the puck and forcing you to make mistakes and closing out quickly in London, London's defense hasn't been able to kind of mitigate that to this point yet. Can it turn around? Certainly. They have a lot of talent on that back end. I don't think anyone's denying that there's no, there's a reason that they're in the OHL final, but it, it's going to be a process of, can they kind of just quiet play down? I think a lot of it's going to come to the London Fords, maybe coming back a little bit more, giving them easier passing options rather than being up at ice and in the neutral zone. I think you're going to need to defend as a unit a little bit more to kind of insulate Zach Bowen and net who we mentioned it earlier. I think he's been really good this year, but throwing him in as a starter in the OHL final, not necessarily an ideal situation. 
Yeah, it's a very tough one for him. And he was really good, obviously, with the shutout in game one. But I thought that he really struggled in, in game three. I thought he was just okay in game two. So which Bowen will we get in game four? I think that's going to be crucial. I think that he has to be better than he, than he was in game three. Without question, yeah. he has to be better than, than he was in game three. I think he can be. and I think he's a better goalie than, than he showed. But again, this is, this is a very tough ask for a young man who really hasn't played a ton uh, in the OHL. It, it really is. It's a, it's a tough, tough order for him. At the end of the day, I think the big thing for him is that he just needs to not be clearly the second best goalie in the game. I think he needs to go in and match Simpson's game and be as good or better. And if he can do that, London has a really good chance of coming back in this series. So before we move on to our draft eligible players of the week, do you want to change your pick? I have a feeling you're going to say no. And what do you think each team has to do moving forward to kind of come back, either come back or finish out the series? Yeah, um, I'm not going to change my pick. I'm going to stick with Peterborough in that sort of six or seven range. I think for London, the key is getting healthy. There's obviously a flu or some kind of bug that's just running rampant through that locker room. And Barkey and Cowan missed game three, and they've been two of London's best offensive players this series and this playoffs. Um, so that's a tough blow. That's a, that's a really tough one for, for them to overcome. So they need to get healthy and they need other players to not fall victim to that same illness, right? That, that needs to be eradicated for <laughs> lack of a better term from the locker room. Right. And, and just staying healthy is going to be key. They can't afford another big injury like they lost Brett Brochure, Right. Um, for Peterborough, it's, I think, staying out of the box. I think that they've done a pretty good job of that. Like it's, other than the game two where I think London had like six power plays, it, it's been sort of like two or three a game, which is fine when you're playing on the edge like Peterborough does. But there's no way you can you can win this series if you're going to give London five or six power plays a game, even if your PK is playing well. So I, I think that's the key for them to continue to, to win games in the series and to close it out is to simply play near the line but not cross it. Yeah, for me, I'm going to stick with the London pick. Like I said, six or seven games as well. I think for the for the Knights to come back in this series, obviously, like you mentioned, health is going to be big. But I think the defense just needs to simplify things. They've been really good at making simple plays, getting their pucks to their forwards, and getting the twins back and getting that Twinterton line, as some were deeming it on Twitter, uh, with Ryan Winterton going again will be important. But the defense needs to simplify it. You don't need to make every play. You don't need to be th this dynamic unit and force things a little bit. I think you need to just get the puck to your forwards, join the rush when you see the opportunity to make the right play. For the Peterborough Peets, continue to be aggressive. Get in on the forecheck. Pressure that young defense. Pressure guys like Dickinson. Pressure guys like Bonk. Force them into decisions they don't want to make and continue playing like they did in games two and three. I think that... If they do that, this series could be over in five. I don't think it will, but I can see it happening. Now, let's move on to our draft spotlight. And because we're talking about the OHL final, it felt right to, to profile the two twins, Easton Cowan and Denver Barkey. Denver Barkey's plays center and a little bit of right wing as well. He's got 22 goals, 37 assists for 59 points in 61 games this year. Easton Cowan plays on the wing of the op on the same line. Generally, he's got 20 goals, 33 assists, and 53 points in 68 games this year. What has worked so well for these two guys? Well, I think the easiest answer is chemistry, right? Like these two, regardless of who's been the third wheel on that line, and obviously lately it's been Ryan Winterton, and they've 
the three of them have, have developed even better chemistry. But for most of the season, it's been those two playing together and sort of developing together. And they complement each other so well because they play the game kind of similar, right? They, they're both great four checkers. They're both high energy guys. They're both skilled. They're both, I think, high IQ guys. They're very similar. And I think that that is why they complement each other so well. And it's, it's one of those things where these two kind of feel like the typical London Knights player to me, like just the kind of guy that, that Dale Hunter always seems to squeeze the best out of. And you've got two guys that, that play a very similar style, albeit they're very young, but they're finding success at a young age. And I think that Dale Hunter is going to be able to rely on both of these guys for not just obviously the rest of this year, but the next couple of years. And we talked about that last week about how exciting it is for London Knights fans right now, because this team wasn't supposed to be, you know, the, what, like what they are right now, currently playing in an OHL championship this year. Like it's kind of, it's kind of early on in their development model for this group. Um, so that's very exciting. Yeah. I think like you mentioned there, the, a lot of the guys we've been talking about that need to just be a little bit better, need to clean things up. Bonk, uh, Dickinson, the twins, they're 17, 18. Dickinson, 16, they're just turned 17. This is a young group of core players that are really going to be able to make a huge difference for the London Knights over the next couple of years, like you said. The twins, I think they're so fun to watch. They, Like you said, they play with so much energy. I think Barky is, is – I don't know if – it's hard to say who's the catalyst on this line. I think Barky is the guy that's a little bit more the catalyst. He's the one that's doing a little bit more creative things. He's able to kind of be that offensive presence. I think they're both pretty good finishers. But Easton Cowan doesn't get the love he, he deserves, I think. He's a really smart player, does some really neat skill things, works off the boards really well. Neither of these guys are really big players, but they play a little bit bigger than their size because of the energy they play with. And I think that's the thing I appreciate about them. I think... We're going to see Barky go a little bit higher in the draft. I think you've started to see his name creep up and on boards, like we mentioned last week when we are talking about guys that were moving up. But I think Easton Cowan's not going to go too far behind him. I think he's a really good player as well. The IQ plays at the NHL level, and I think that's going to be a big factor. These are two guys that probably take a little bit longer development just because they are undersized. They're going to need to work on getting stronger, getting a little bit faster. But the energy they play with, the motor, it's all there. There's so many things to like about both these players. And like you said, that London Knights system develops NHLers with regularity. So I can see both these guys being fairly decent draft picks and, and good draft prospects over the next couple of years. And they've got a couple more years in London to continue improving, continuing building through that system, and continuing to grow together at the end of the day. Yeah, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask you too, is who goes first in the NHL draft at, at this point? Um I think it should be Parky, but honestly, wouldn't be surprised if it's Easton Cowan. I think that Cowan probably has better athletic tools mm -hmm. that NHL scouts seem to really favor, especially in undersized players. That's not to say that Barky isn't a poor skater or is a poor skater or anything like that. You know, he's he's not. Um, but I would say Cowan is the more explosive skater. I think that he is the better overall mover. I think that he's probably a little bit more physical, a little bit more tenacious than, than Barky. I think that those characteristics maybe play a little bit better at the NHL level. I think that Barky maybe will have to adapt a little bit more 
than than Easton Cowan. And that's why I think maybe he's somebody that a lot of us are, are sleeping on. I think that with his strong closeout to the OHL season, with his strong OHL playoffs performance, I think that this is a guy that might go in that second round range and, and really kind of shock people. And I, I've seen a little bit of buzz on social media about that lately. And uh, it, honestly, as much as I think Barky deserves to be maybe slightly ahead at this point, because I do think the upside is just a, just a tad higher. Yeah. Um, I think I wouldn't be shocked if Easton Cowan was the first one drafted of the two. Yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting because it, like you said, I think Easton Cowan does have just that, that safer base, I think, but Barky does have a little bit more upside. It, it's going to be interesting because I wouldn't be shocked to see Barky go 52 and Cowan go 58 or something like that uh, towards the end of the second round or flip it and see Cowan go in the early fifties and in Barky go in the early sixties and, and kind of book it or kind of go back to back in the draft or pretty close to it. it it's going to be interesting because they've been really fun to watch in London this year. Or, you know, like something crazy Cowan goes 50th and Barky goes hundred. Yeah. We could see that yeah. too easily. Uh, I mean, <sighs> As much as we love Denver Barkey, he hasn't been getting a ton of love from some of the places that have ties to NHL scouts like NHL Central Scouting, right? Yep. Um, where I'm trying to think, where was Cowan and Barkey ranked on the final list for Central Scouting? Uh, Barkey was pretty low, if I'm not mistaken. I think Cowan was was ahead of Barkey on, on. But yeah, I think Cowan was a little bit CSS. ahead. I know mm-hmm. Craig's list that came out. I want to say Barky was around 50 and Cowan wasn't on it. Um, they're both starting to get a lot more love than I thought they were going to get mm-hmm. early in the year. It's, it's, it's been interesting to see the rise of both these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to our NHL team of the week, though. Let's get away from the London Knights. We've talked about them enough on this podcast. And we're going to talk about a bunch of players that are in the Dallas Stars system. Uh, there's no Colorado prospects. So I'm sorry, Colorado Avalanche fans. We have nothing to talk about for you. But the Dallas Cow- Dallas Stars, not the Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Stars have a boatload to make up for it. And let's start with Francisco Arcuri of the Kitchener Rangers, was on the K- Kingston Frontenacs earlier this year. 48 goals, 43 assists for 91 points in 71 games, 28 penalty minutes, and he was an even rating. What do you kind of like about his game, and how do you think he projects? I think that he's one of the more underrated players in the OHL. I think that he's somebody, because he was a lower pick in that sort of COVID draft and didn't play a ton I think that people sleep on him because it's kind of like oh he wasn't that high pick and yeah he's performing well in the OHL but lots of guys do that don't go on to NHL careers but I think that that I think that our Curry has a very solid pro base by that I mean he understands how to space he understands how to get to the net and I think his hands are, are really good and I think those three things will help him at the pro level as he adjusts to the pace of play. That's going to be the number one thing for him because skating has always been the weak point for him. And I think it's improved a lot over his OHL career. But I think that there's there's still going to be growth that's required in that area, um, especially in terms of his sort of first couple of steps, that quickness is, is going to have to improve. But he's a guy that plays through the middle of the ice. He's not a perimeter guy at all. He is somebody who does his work near the net. He does his work driving the middle. He does his work driving the middle without the puck, right? He's always 
middle of the ice centered and he's got a great shot on the power play uh one of the better shots in the ohl in my opinion he's got a rocket of a one-timer that he can unleash from that you know ovechkin steven stamkos area on the dot and that's kind of something that gives him a good complimentary sort of feel uh i think that he's got a really good chance of playing through the middle six i i don't think he's a slam dunk because the pace and the, and the skating are going to have to improve. But uh, I think that he's somebody that is being undervalued. Yeah, I think he is probably the stars more under, one of the stars, most underrated prospects. You stole my point in the fact that he plays between the dots through the middle of the ice at all times. And that's what you love to see about his game. The most outside you're going to see him get is that face off dot on the one time side on the power play That's really kind of where he, he lives in on the power play and, He's in the slot at all times, and I think that's really valuable for him. Uh, I think he's going to be a good NHL prospect. It's, I think he's going to be a guy that plays in the AHL for a couple of years before he gets to the NHL. He's not going to make that that jump right to the NHL, I don't think, but he's going to be a really good complimentary guy. I could see him being a guy that comes up halfway through a season and everyone's going, where'd this guy come from? And we're all going to go, ah, the COVID draft. And It's uh, going to be one of the many COVID draft stories that we see over the next few years, especially from the OHL. But let's move on to their next prospect, and that's Justin Nurtle of the North Bay Battalion. 36 points, 14 goals in 46 games this year, 52 penalty minutes. Played for a really strong North Bay team. How strong do you think his prospects are to be an NHL player, though? I actually really like Nurtle, and I think I'm kind of underwhelmed by his production because most times I saw North Bay play, I, I thought that he stood out. And I think that there's definitely a cap on his offensive ceiling. I don't yeah. think this is a guy that is going to be a, a big point producer at the NHL level at all, but I like his playmaking sense. He, he's definitely not a strong finisher. He, he doesn't have a great shot. He's definitely a pass first kind of guy, but he brings great energy. He brings physicality. Uh, I think that he understands how to play without the puck in all three zones, strong and committed defensive player. I think there's a place for him um, at the pro level. I think that, how far he makes it is going to depend on the development of his, his puck skill. Uh, I think that's going to be number one is, is can he, I know we used it with our Curry, but can he adjust to the pace and how quick he has to make decisions at, at the next level? I, I kind of thought he would have a better year, even though he kind of struggled at the NCAA level before he transferred. But um, North Bay, North Bay was pretty stacked. Like he was playing more of like a middle six role on that strong North Bay team. And next year, I assume he'll be back uh, as an OA. Uh, I, I bet money on it because I believe Dallas does not have to sign him because of the loophole with him leaving the NCAA. So he doesn't fall under the same umbrella that say a guy like our Curry would. So there's an opportunity for them to let him play in the OHL next year again as, as an OA and, I think he'll have a good year for uh, North Bay for sure. Or, or another team, if he ends up getting moved because they decide to retool a little bit. Yeah. That was going to be my thing is I expected a little bit more from him offensively, but he was playing on a stack team and he, he wasn't getting all of the opportunity that I think even maybe he thought he would get when he came to North Bay. So it's going to be interesting to see where he, uh, where he kind of finishes. I kind of picture him as one of those tweener guys that plays at the AHL level has a lot of success there. It never really solidifies himself at the NHL level, but he's like you said, the energy and the physicality, he could be a, a solid bottom six option at the NHL level if he develops the pace and everything. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does, but let's move on to his teammate, Kyle McDonald, who had 34 goals and 18 assists for 52 points in 43 games. 
uh, 42 penalty minutes. And he was a plus 23. We've talked about him a couple of times on this podcast. What do you like about his game and what do you think his pro prospects are? It's the shot. I mean, his shot is, is ridiculous. One of the best in the OHL, if not the best. And that includes some, some pretty good NHL prospects. And I think Dallas made a very astute signing uh, of McDonald this year. Big body, you can score. Those types of guys don't grow on trees. And yeah, yeah, his, his skating is going to have to improve 100%. It's, he's going to have to get quicker. He's going to have to get more agile. His, his east-west, his north-south movement, all of it needs to improve. But you can't necessarily teach the way that he can score. Like that, that is a born goal scorer. That is a kid that has worked extremely hard uh, on his shot as well. And um, I think that the adjustment to the AHL level for a player like him, given his size advantage, might not be as, as big as some expect it. He's the type of guy I could see going right into the AHL level and scoring 15 or 20 next year, um, even if he's playing in like a, a middle six role at the AHL level. I think that this is somebody who has progressed to the point where he can be an NHL player possibly. Yeah, it's a really astute signing by, by the Dallas Stars. Like you said, it's free money at this point for them, basically. It's, it's getting a player in their system that – was just free. Like they didn't have to draft him. They didn't have to waste any assets on him. It's a good prospect. And I think, like you said, that shot, it's intriguing. You, you get him into the AHL. You have the luxury of giving him time. You don't have to rush this kid. You have a lot of prospects that are going to be ahead of him in the system, uh, both in the OHL and elsewhere. So it, it, I thought it was a really smart thing to do for them to sign this guy. Uh, great shot. Like you said, he's going to be a goal scorer at the AHL level. Let's see where he ends up. He could be a guy that, kind of provide some secondary scoring in the middle or bottom six at the NHL level as well. Let's move on to Christian Cairo from the Sarnia Sting, a defenseman that had 20 goals, 57 assists, and in, in only 64 games, at 44 penalty minutes. He was a plus 13, but he was a plus 23 with, with Sarnia after getting traded there from the Erie, Erie Otters. Yeah, I thought he had a really good year. I think that the one thing that I really noticed about Christian this year is I felt like his linear quickness – really improved. I think that as a draft eligible guy, that was one thing that kind of had me a little bit skeptical. Yes, he was yeah. great in terms of his lateral footwork, um, that east-west movement, really good edge work, really agile, really quick feet, but he wasn't necessarily somebody who was really quick north-south. And I think that that limited his sort of impact at times, not even strength. And I think this year, it was very clear that that was something that he worked on in the summer is, is to improve sort of that quickness and, and sort of extending rushes through the neutral zone and, and being more of a factor at even strength. And I think defensively, his game took a step forward this year too. I think he showed that despite maybe not being the biggest defender on the planet, he can play uh, at least mediocre defense at the next level. And I think that this is a really good pick, and I think, for, for Dallas. And I was a little bit skeptical of, of him as a draft eligible player. I was not as high on him as – some other people, but I think his development really was strong this year. I think he improved in the area that he needed to. Yeah, I think you mentioned skating improvement. It was really great to see because the creativity, the offensive prowess, the ability to be one of the, the catalysts offensively as a passer from up high in the zone, giving him that added ability to kind of just add that little bit of power into his stride, 
get those first few steps a little bit quicker. It's given him more ability in the offensive zone too. It's accentuated the strengths and covered up for some of his weaknesses. Like you said, the defense may never be truly high end or, or even average. It might end up being slightly below average regardless. But if this is a guy that can blend your second power play unit, be a, a third pairing guy and be the puck mover on the back end, where a lot of team, times teams have two guys who can't really move the puck on that third pairing, you get a guy like Christian Cairo on that third pairing, and that could make a big difference in a series in the, in the playoffs or even during the regular season when you just need to get the puck out of your own zone and, and you have your third pairing and maybe your third or fourth line hemmed in your own zone. So I think Christian Cairo could be a really interesting prospect moving forward. But let's move on to another defenseman in Gavin White for the Peterborough Peets, who was playing for, for Hamilton at the start of the year. He had 12 goals, 29 assists for 41 points in 54 games. What did you think about his game? And do you think there's a, a realistic path to pro to the pro hockey for him? Yeah, I, I think there's a path only because he's such a good skater. One of the better skating blue liners in the OHL. And I, I think anytime that you move the way that White does, you give yourself a chance. Um, now it's about sort of building out the rest of his game. I, I don't think that he had as good a year as I thought he would. Um, in Peterborough, I felt like his role kind of changed a little bit compared to what we saw in, in Hamilton. I think that I kind of expected him to be more of an offensive type in Peterborough, but in, he's kind of been more of like a two-way rock. He hasn't been taking as many chances as as he had previously done, at least in, in my viewings of, of Peterborough this year. and So far in the playoffs, in my opinion, like his production in the playoffs hasn't been terrific. He's kind of just been there and it's playing kind of safe um which is kind of not what we're used to with Kevin White but um he's somebody who I think has a chance only because he skates so well and how the rest of his game develops at the pro level what sort of niche he can fall into will be important for him yeah I think like you said there's that when you watch him play if you watch an isolated shift or something you go oh this could be a guy that scores some points because you see him move well with the puck you see him move just well in general his defensive game isn't absolutely terrible you think there'd be a, a little bit more production out of his game and it hasn't quite been there like you mentioned in peterborough but i think there's upside there at least in terms of being a capable puck mover i i think like you said he's gonna have to find his niche at the pro level whether it's just as a a solid puck moving transition defenseman or a guy that can kind of get more involved in the offensive zone i think maybe he's a guy you see flashes of it but you never really see it sustain and that's all right at the end of the day. You get to the NHL level and you find your spot. But he's got a long road ahead of him, I think. It's not necessarily a guarantee by any means. So he's a solid defender, but unspectacular at the end of the day. And let's move on to the next defender in their their pool. We've got two more defensemen. The first one is Jacob, McDo- or Jacob Holmes sorry, uh, of the Windsor Spitfires. Played for Sudbury earlier this season. Five goals, 25 assists for 30 points in 67 games. He played a lot for that Windsor Spitfires team coming down the stretch and played a really important defensive role for them. So what do you think about his pro projection? Yeah, I still don't know what he is at the NHL level. He kind of strikes me as one of those guys that is going to be a good junior defenseman. He's already a, a good junior defenseman, but I wouldn't call him above average in really any area. I think that his game is kind of just mellow low-key and those guys they have a difficult time transitioning to the pro level and finding a role right when you get to the AHL, when you get to the nhl it's about finding that role that really brings out the best in in your particular skill set and 
I just don't know if if Holmes is strong enough with the puck or skilled enough with the puck to to be an offensive guy, to be a puck mover. I don't know if he's necessarily good enough defensively or big enough to to be that sort of stay at home type. Those jack of all trades types just don't transition very well, at, at least in terms of the historical data. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about Jacob Holmes recently, and they said he's TJ Brody at the OHL level. But when you're TJ Brody at the OHL level, you don't really have a role at the NHL level. And I think that's kind of a an apt description of, of Jacob Holmes' game. Is he going to get to the NHL? Is he going to be a, a solid pro? I, I don't know if I see it. But he's going to be a very good junior defenseman, and we'll see where his development goes. Now let's move on to the final prospect in this Dallas Stars pool, number seven. Uh, it's Artem Grishnikov, Hamilton Bulldogs, big hitting defender. Didn't have many points, just 17 points with eight goals in 65 games. But he's a punishing hitter, a guy that's really aggressive in, in both ends of the ice. Do you think there's a path to the pro game for him? Because he's not really a guy that does a lot with the puck. Yeah, you know what? I thought his game really, really took off in the second half. I think once Hamilton made some moves and it kind of forced Grushnikov to to be the remaining leader on that team from that sort of championship holdover, I thought it brought out the best in him. I thought that he's always sort of been a guy that's underwhelmed me. It's kind of like, man, I just want to see more, like, especially with the puck, like the decision making with the puck previously, I thought I always thought was, was weak, like too many blind passes up the middle, too many just grenades up the uh, up and out rather than like actually checking uh, to make a good outlet or, you know, checking to see what his defensive partner is using shoulder checks, things like that. Like it was always just like a bit of panic uh, when he had the puck on his stick. And I felt like his game really settled down in the, in the second half. And I think that we even saw him be an offensive catalyst to, to a certain degree with Hamilton when they were really good in that second half. Now it's, that's not going to be his role at the NHL level at all. Um, but it did make me feel better about his NHL odds. Again, we've talked about this at length on the show about even stay at home defenders need to be good two way players at the junior level. And I think that we sort of saw that late in the year from Grushnikov and it's, it's definitely given me more hope uh, that he can develop into something at the NHL level. NHL teams love guys that can hit, and Grishnikov certainly will do that. I think he at least gets a look at the pro level in the AHL. Does he go and be an NHLer? Who knows? It's going to be interesting to see where his development goes, though, because like you said, there was signs of progression this year, and that's something you always want to see in a defenseman. I just don't know if that the puck skills and the passing ability will be able to keep up with the game at the next level. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does. But with that said, after going through basically the entire Dallas star system, it seems we come to the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening. The OHL final continues. So make sure to tune into that on TSN. There's going to be lots to watch there. It's been a great series so far. Hopefully it goes six or seven games. So we get lots more to watch. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, wherever you're listening, Apple music, Spotify, Google Player, wherever else, we really appreciate it. And with that, we will see you next week on THN on the O.